Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Dude, that was a good family moment. Did everybody get their sniffles out? Everybody a little, you know, yo, how many of you, how many of you in this room are not afraid to admit that you cry? How many of you, be honest, you're like, I have no problem, I cry all the time. How many of you? Okay. Okay. How many of you, how many of you have a hard time admitting that you cry? You're like, I'm not crying. I'm not crying. Right? Anybody? Yeah, you, yeah. it's hard, right? It's hard being this emotional. All right, well, hey, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm that dude that's like, I'm kind of half convinced that I'm not crying, but I get the lump in the throat. You know what I'm saying? So like the tears, the tears are usually the last piece. It's usually that knot where I'm like, I'm okay, right? So I, I'm feeling that right now for Jordan. Jordan, you, you give me the lump in the throat, bro. You give me the lump in the throat. And so uh, anyway, welcome guys, welcome. Hey, I wanna do a little, a little pop quiz here because I'm seeing a lot of new faces and I'm like a golden retriever, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm the kind of person that's like, oh, I'm talking to you. How you doing, Amelia? You doing good? You doing good? Hey, I meant to ask you about, oh my gosh, new person! Like, like that's me. Anybody else? Golden retriever? Yeah, I just love new people. I'm like a dog. Like, like literally, I'm just like, oh my gosh, you're new. You're like a new toy. Let's go, let's go. And then like somebody else comes and I'm like, oh my gosh, another new toy. It's, it's bad. So if you're, if you're like, if you've been at Citizens for less than six months, I need to just get all of my golden retriever out at once. So that way I'm not distracted during the message. Just wave. You've been at Citizens for less than six months. Hi, hi. Everybody say hi. Hi. Oh my gosh. Hi. Hi. You've been here for less than six months? What? See, I'm doing it. Stop. All right. Stop it. We're friends. All right. Hey, so we're going to dive in tonight. We're going to dive in tonight. We have just begun. We have just begun a new study. We've begun a new series through the book of 1 Thessalonians, okay, called Still Standing, all right? 1 Thessalonians, uh, what we do here at Citizens, for those of you who are new, it's crazy, okay? We come together and I talk, but listen to what I talk about. I actually don't believe that I have anything worth saying. You're like, then why am I here? Listen, okay? I have nothing worth saying on my own. So if you're here and you're like, well, that guy looks cool. I want his advice. You probably don't want my advice. You don't want my wisdom. You don't want the fruit of many, many long-lived years of life experience, right? Because I'm 27. I don't have that. So instead of talking about things that I don't know, and instead of giving you my opinion on politics, and maybe instead of talking about sports, which I wouldn't mind talking about sports, you know what I'm saying? You want to talk about sports? Catch me in the lobby afterwards, we'll talk. But we don't talk about none of that. Instead, what we do is we open up the Bible because we believe that God speaks to people through his word. There's a lot of voices that you can listen to in culture. There's a lot of opinions that are in your life. And so we say, in a world of opinions, in a world of voices, I wanna hear God's voice. And so the way that we learn God's voice, the way that we learn what he's saying to us is we look at our Bibles. So if you have a Bible, let me see it. 
Wave your Bible in the air like you just don't care. What? All right. And if you don't have a Bible, if you do not own a Bible, um, you don't need to go to Amazon. You don't need to go to the bookstore. You find anybody that has a Bible and you command them to give you theirs and they'll give it to you. Okay. Is that how it works? No, never mind. No, that was the other church I was in. No, no. If you find a blue or white Bible, you can just have it. Find a nice one. This one is like, looks like somebody like ran over it, right? Who would run over the Bible? Disrespectful, right? But if you find a nice blue and white Bible, it's yours. Um, Bring it up here. Kennedy will autograph it for you. Um, She'll sign it, but sign Jesus' name, obviously, because he's the only name that matters. Um, And so anyway, yeah, when you come here, you want a Bible. You want the Bible. Otherwise, you you won't be able to follow along. So sound good? Are we ready? Are you ready for some wisdom? Here we go. What? you are carrying determines how you carry yourself. What you are carrying determines how you carry yourself. What you are dealing with, what your expertise is, whatever you are carrying and dealing in determines how you live, how you express yourself, and how you carry yourself. So let me demonstrate. I need some volunteers. I need four Four volunteers here. Pete, come on up. All right, here we go, Pete. Bum, 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 ba, dum, bum, ba, yeah, why not? What, what's your name again? Yeah, in the orange. Come. That was confident. You didn't even raise your hand. You just came. Why not? Come on. Four. He's like, I am the volunteer, right? Let's go, girl. Come on up here. Get on up here, right? One more. Ah, ooh. All right, Colton. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Down front, boys. Down front. Why does everybody want to go on the platform? He's <laughs> like, I'm up here. All right, four. So here we go. What you are carrying determines how you carry yourself. So let me demonstrate. Colton, you stand here. You're number one. Colton is going to be, and you can, you can do my pictures for me, all right? Number one, Colton represents, I know you guys don't know this, my homeboy Colton, he's actually a filthy rich business executive. Everybody said, ooh, right? Ooh. And so... He, so, so you could say, oh man, who folds their clothes, right? Come on, Andrew, you folded the clothes? I don't know how to deal with fold clothes, right? So and, uh, Colton here, come on, buddy, we're going to get you dressed, all right? Oh, yeah. he, he carries with him. He deals in money and power, all right? He's in it, bro. <laughs> that actually fits, right? So this businessman here, he carries with him money and power. So that what you carry determines how you carry yourself. And so the way that he carries himself, you know what to do, right? How about that black leather, black on black on black, right? Put him on, bud. Come on, put him on, right? So he has to carry himself. Where's, where's my Rolex? Oh, you know, I must have left my Rolex at home. Never mind. Um, so he's going to carry himself in a way that says, <laughs> bro, this is not your first rodeo. Yo, he looks good, right? You're going to love the way you look. I guarantee it. And so he's, he's going to carry himself in a way that says, I deal with expensive things. What you're carrying, you, you carry that paper, right? right? What you're carrying determines how you carry yourself, right? Next, moving on. Courtney, what do we got? Oh, yes. Here we go. All right. So our next, our next friend here, what's your name? Kenna. Kenna. Short for McKenna. We go way back, Kenna. But too many people thought she was related to Ronald McDonald, so she changed her name to Kenna. But Kenna, she, most people don't know this, she's actually a plumber. It's used. It's used. Careful. Um, 
McKenna, oh! I'm not my job, Yeah, right, and so McKenna represents, she's a plumber, and she carries with her the power of the pipe, right? She has the knowledge, right? She deals in piping expertise. And so she needs to carry herself. It on. It, girlfriend, you better, what you carry determines how you carry yourself, okay. right? So she's going to dress in a way, she's going to carry herself in a way that tells everybody else, I deal with things that are dirty. <laughs> These are also used. I won't tell you what they're used for. All right, yeah, woo! All right, so what you carry determines how you carry yourself, right? So we have a businessman, we have a plumber next. Here we go, right? Most people don't know this, but my boy, Ethan Adams, at the age of 15, is a master architect, and with him, he carries the power to build. (laughs) It's not like a sword, bro. You're like, right, whatever, right? So he carries with him the power to build. Get dressed, you know what to do, right? The power to build, the power to create. He knows how to swing a hammer with both hands tied behind his back. And so he carries, you'll figure it out later. And so he carries himself. He carries himself in a way that, dude, that's a good look. 10 bucks to wear that to school tomorrow. 10 bucks, 20 bucks. 25 bucks. (laughs) All right? Bro, you'll learn. When you're old and broke like me, you'll learn. All right? And so he carries himself in a way that tells everybody else, I deal with things that are dangerous. I deal with things that are dangerous because what you carry determines how you carry yourself. And then last but not least here, we have a gospel worker. So hold this, right? So we have a gospel and he deals with the gospel. And so the way that he carries himself, um, how would he carry himself? What you carry determines how you carry yourself. And so if what you are carrying is the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our question today is how does one who carry the gospel carry themselves? How, does the, how do those who carry the gospel carry themselves? What qualities do they have? What kind of lifestyle do they live? What traits do they need? What traits do you need in order to tell the world, I deal with things that are true, life-changing, and eternally transforming? How do those who carry the gospel carry themselves? That's the question we're going to answer today. You guys can take a seat. Thank you. You have to wear that the whole message, by the way. Go, go. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <clears throat> Did you just selfie my sermon? I like it. I like it. <laughs> He's serious. He's serious about the change. He's like, upgrade. All right. So how do those who carry the gospel carry themselves? And so what we're learning here as we study the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul, everybody say Paul. Paul's my homeboy, dude. Paul's this dude, right? And he's a gospel worker. And he travels around the ancient world and he says, I have one job. I have one mission, to tell everyone the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so what we learned last week, and you see it on the outside pillars here, we learned that everywhere that Paul went, God was working the gospel in them, and then he worked the gospel through them. And so students of LifePoint Church, citizens of Vancouver, Camas area, if you are a Christian and God has worked the gospel in your life and now through your life, you're a gospel worker. And the question for you today is how do those who carry the gospel, how do you who carry the gospel, how are you to carry yourselves? And as we look at our text today, we're going to see Paul, what, how he carried himself during those three weeks of his ministry. And we're going to find four things, four things that those who carry the gospel must have. Are you ready? Everybody say carry. carry. Yes, we're going to carry. So here we go. Starting in verse one, starting in verse one. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So a few weeks ago, we did the backstory of Thessalonica. Thessalonica, okay? Thessalonica. No! Thessalonica, all right? We learned the backstory. And we saw, we saw that Paul, he's speaking this message and dude, the whole city's in uproar and they're getting violent and they're mobbing, right? And I'm not gonna reenact the mob scene, all right? Go watch the video on our website, but it was cray, okay? And so people are mobbing and they go, Paul, you, you, nearly, you, you nearly missed it. Oh my gosh, you gotta get out of here. You have to leave the city because things are getting violent. And he goes, bro, I'm straight out of Philippi. You think this rocks me? I'm from Philippi, dog, right? And he's like, dude, the conflict is not new. They're scared of the mob. And he goes, guys, I was shamefully treated at Philippi. I already suffered. You know this. We learned week one that one of the pillars of their story, one of the foundational principles of, their, of this young church's story is that they experience persecution from others. And so the conflict is not new. Nobody is surprised. This is exactly what Jesus said would happen when you declare an offensive, divisive message. And yet, Paul and his team, they carried themselves with boldness. They had this commitment to not turn away because they knew that they carried a gospel that needed to be declared. So the first thing we see here from Paul and his team is that those who carry the gospel have boldness in the face of much conflict. Boldness in the face of much conflict. How many of you would say you're bold? You're like, oh, I'm bold, right? What's the boldest thing you've ever done? Tell me, Haven. You did not jump off a cliff, stop it. What was at the bottom? The bottom of the pool. All right, so cliff jumping. How many, you've cliff jumped before? What have you done, CC? Allison. Allison. <laughs> that, that hits me deep because I've like never killed a spider before and then I got married and my wife screamed and she's like, Sam, and I go, oh my gosh. <laughs> of all the implications of marriage that I was told by older men, nobody ever helped the light bulbs go off that now it's your turn to kill the spiders. And so I, I that, dude, the first time I killed the spider as a married man, it was powerful. Good. So some people are bold, right? Some people are naturally bold because why are you bold? 
because she hates spiders, right? So she's like, viva the spider killer, boom, right? Some people are bold because they are dared by other people. Some people, some people, I'm gonna blur out the face here so that nobody knows who this is, but some people are so bold that when you tell them to act a fool in public, they have no problem acting a fool in public. (laughs) Bro, I bet you won't, you can obviously, the face is blurred out, so we're gonna protect this young man's identity, or maybe it's a woman, I don't know. We don't know who it is. We don't know who this person is, but this is the kind of person, this is the kind of person that when you challenge them to sit on the toddler Ferris or the toddler carousel at Chuck E. Cheese, they go, say less, bet, and they're there. So when Paul says that we had boldness in our God, when he said we had boldness to declare the gospel, we had boldness despite receiving all of the shame and suffering like at Philippi, we had boldness. Is it because he was extroverted? Did he have boldness because his friends dared him? Did he have boldness because of his own personality? Friends, we see that the source of his boldness wasn't his own nerve. It wasn't his personality. It wasn't his own courage. They had boldness in our God. You see that? The source of his boldness, the source of his confidence wasn't some unwavering, courageous nature. It was in the fact that God faithfully does what he always does when the gospel is preached. And those of you in here who are Christians, you know this. Every time people are faithful to preach the gospel, God is faithful to save. Every time the gospel is declared clearly, no matter how much opposition, no matter how much doubt you would imagine, God is always faithful to save. And so he has boldness, not in himself. He has boldness in God, knowing that he will convert hearts, that he will regenerate souls, that he will save people. Students, I, I, I'm assuming that you're not out here in the streets getting mobbed, right? You're like, well, you actually don't know my story, dude. Like, I go to, I go to Evergreen, man. There's, there's mobs everywhere, dog. I'm like, all right, maybe you are getting mobbed. My bad. Uh, but for the majority of you, you're not getting mobbed. You're not, you're not straight out of Philippi. You're like, oh, I'm from downtown Camus. Yo, okay, cool. But you know what I mean? Like, you may not be getting mobbed, but when you're being honest with yourself, how many of you, when the topic of your faith comes up, when the topic of your relationship with Jesus Christ or the fact that you go to that youth group, you get the little, right? Time stands still. Palms are sweaty. What? For, you did not just go Eminem on me in the middle of my sermon. Yo, I'm gonna come into your classroom and hijack your answer, your speech, right? start singing. I believe I can fly, right? But you get like maybe it's sweaty palms or maybe, maybe, maybe you've had that feeling where there's no more like saliva in your mouth and you're like, what? You know what I mean? And it's like, there's like white stuff all over your mouth. (laughs) I know this is bad, but like I speak publicly for a living and for the longest time I had doubts, like even in college, I had doubts that I would actually be okay at this because every time I spoke, my mouth got super dry and white stuff all over my mouth. Like just dry, like cotton mouth. I guess if I just ran a mile, it was bad. Luckily, I'm over that. They're like, no, you're not, right? I think I'm over that. But you know how it is, right? People bring up your faith. Oh, you're that Christian girl, right? Hey, don't you go to that church? Hey, don't you, aren't you one of those Bible thumpers? Like, you wait, you, is that a Bible in your book bag? Really? Is that really? Who you? And all of a sudden, we know we're not getting mobbed, but we know that feeling, right? We know the feeling that comes of going, 
I'm, I, I just know inherently I'm living in an anti-Christ culture. I'm living in an environment that is not favorable to Christianity, that at the root of our culture, there's an opposition to the message of Christ, which is come to me, not yourself. And so we live in this anti-Christ culture. We, but yet, because we carry, because you students carry the life-changing power of the gospel, you must carry yourselves with boldness. You must carry yourselves and be unashamed. I'm calling you. I'm exhorting you. Be bold in the midst of much conflict, students. But here's the key. Your boldness, the root of your boldness. Guys, check it out right here. Listen. The root of your boldness is not something that you muster up. The root of your boldness is not a natural tendency that you have or natural bravado or your confidence in a crowd or your ability to do something silly. The root of your courage and your boldness comes from realizing that wherever the gospel is declared, people are saved. Wherever the gospel is declared, people are saved. When Christians are faithful to speak the gospel boldly, God is faithful to save. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because I am super extroverted and I don't care what people think. No, that doesn't say that. For, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Those who carry the gospel carry themselves with a boldness in the midst of much conflict because they know that through it, God saves. And so the first thing we have here, we have boldness boldness. Look at this guy's eyes. Dude is determined. He's not looking to the left. He's not looking to the right. He's looking straight ahead. I'm not going anywhere. Oh. Boldness. Those who carry the gospel carry themselves with boldness. Moving on. Not only is there boldness in God, we see why they have boldness in their God. Look at the next one. Verse three. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Well, the second thing we see, those who carry the gospel carry with them a motivation to please the sender, not the receivers. Those who carry the gospel, they carry themselves left. Those who carry the gospel, they carry with them a motivation. Their heart, their motivation, their desire is not to please other people, not to please the receivers, but to please the sender. To please the sender. You cannot talk. You cannot understand. You cannot have a conversation about those who carry the gospel without understanding their motivation, okay? And look what it says. Their motivation was not deception. Their motivation for traveling all around the world and sharing the gospel was not error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Like, it's not like they were like, you know what, honestly, I don't even believe this, but like, you know, whatever. They were not knowingly administering something that they knew to be false. Their motive was not deception. Look what else it says. We did not come with words of flattery. That's the big one for today. 
They were not going around trying to get likes, right? And dude, oh, I'm gonna say this line. I have no idea what it means and I don't even believe it. But when I say it, people are like, bah. And so I'm like, yeah. And then, and then they like retweet me and it's crazy. I'm not going around trying to get people to like me. I'm not saying things so that people can retweet me. I'm saying things, well, we'll find out why. But we see the motivation is not words of flattery. Their motivation for doing what they're doing was not to get people to like them. We see also it is not about hitting it big. You know, guys, this is kind of a hard life traveling around the known world telling people the gospel, but the money, oh, it's good, right? Their motivation was not to hit it big. Their motivation was not to make money and paper. It wasn't greed. God is witness. Spoiler alert, they didn't make a lot of money, right? We know it wasn't greed. We know that it wasn't to become famous. They weren't trying to get glory from people. They didn't want to be famous and have all this glory and be like, ah, the apostles, name and lights. That's not their heart. That is not their motivation. But students, I'm highlighting each of these because I need you to understand that sadly, there are people out there who this is their motivation. Turn on the television, right? Google, famous Christian pastor and author and speaker and evangelist and scam art. Oh, sorry. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a lot of good people that have platforms and they, and they are famous and they do good things. But friends, students, especially those of you who are, are going to college here soon, or you're already in college, just because somebody has the word Christian or the word pastor or the word teacher or author in their name doesn't necessarily mean that they're legit. There's a reason that Paul has to tell them these aren't his motivations because that means there are other people where this is their motivation. This is not Paul's motivation. He's aware that he's been entrusted with something from God. And so his heart, his motivation is not to please the people that he sent to, but to please the one who sent him. Students, understand Paul's example here. Because when I stand up here on Wednesday night, when your pastors and elders of this congregation stand up in the pulpit on a Sunday morning, they're not trying to get your likes. We're not trying to get your money. We're not trying to get famous. We're not trying to get the next book deal. Our motivation is to please the one who entrusted us the gospel. And so let's use an example here. I have 200 bucks to give away. I need a volunteer. I'm just kidding, dude. (laughs) He's still wearing it. I'm not giving you 20 bucks either. That's hilarious, right? And so Andrew, I'm gonna use you as an example, all right? I'm going to give Andrew $200, okay? I don't really have the money because I'm broke, but I put a picture of it on the screen so people think I'm giving you money, okay? Do you have the $200, Andrew? Great, excellent. So I give him $200 for a very special purpose. And I say, Andrew, I need you to take the $200 and go and buy my wife a present for me. I can't believe I almost forgot it's my anniversary. (gasps) Shame on me. Good for Andrew, right? Andrew has now been entrusted with $200. How many people know that as soon as he gets that $200 in his hand, there are a million people out there that are more than ready to tell him what to do with that money? Bro, you just got $200. Oh my gosh, dude. Listen, you know what you should do? Here's what you can do to to really take advantage of that money. Oh, you have 200 bucks? Dude, you know what you can do with 200 bucks? Do you know you can buy the new half of an iPhone? Oh my gosh, it's crazy. You could buy an accessory for your iPhone. Seriously, you know? Like, dude, 200 bucks. Oh my gosh, you could go like, what could you do with 200 bucks? 
You can go to, what? You, you can go to Disneyland for a day. 200 bucks, dude, 200 bucks, you could buy a new pair of shoes, right? As soon as he gets 200 bucks, there are so many opinions and ideas, including his own, about what he can do with that. But when you're entrusted with something, your only motivation, your only purpose is to please and make proud the one who gave you the mission. And so the Lord has not left us with 200 bucks. He left us with the gospel. And therefore, our motivation is not to follow the ideas of those around us. It's not to go, ooh, I can use this for this. Or, ooh, this could be a means to this. Or, ooh, I can get people to like me if I post those inspirational pictures on Instagram. What? The gospel is not a means to an end. It is the way that we please. It's our motivation to please the one who sent us. The one who sent us. So those who carry the gospel, they carry themselves with boldness, in the face of much conflict, and they have a motivation to please the sender, not the receivers. Number three, number three. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. We see that those who carry the gospel, they carry themselves with a boldness, a motivation, and number three, a willingness to share their lives. A willingness to share their lives. Let's share our lives today, shall we? I love you. Hi. Let's hold hands. I thought I'd have two hands, but um, I only love you this much. Hi. Hi. There's a willingness. Hi. Dude, sometimes I go up to people and I'll go, hi. And they think I'm like going for a high five. And I say, I didn't say high five. I said, hi. Right? Try that sometime. It's deep. So here's what's happening. The picture here. Paul, how long did he spend with the Thessalonians? Three Sabbath days. How long is that? Three weeks, right? Aha, my friend, Sabbath, Saturday. And so he spends three weeks with them, and we learn that his time there, it was not like the cafeteria lady, okay? The picture that we get of Paul was not like the lady in the cafeteria who's like, next, next, slap, next, right? Like, th- like sharing the gospel is not just about, here's your message, I have a message for you, next, next, next. It's just like, the picture is not the cafeteria lady who's just trying to move along the line, who's just concerned with, hey, do you believe? Great, next. Do you believe? Are you a Christian? Yes, all right, moving on, next. Are you a Christian? You, you believe? Yeah, good, good, good. Next, next, next. That's not the picture of the gospel. The picture that Paul is painting here is not a cafeteria lady. It's like a mom. Oh, I thought I'd get a lot more awes than that. Is that not a good mom picture? Maybe you didn't realize at first that it was a mom. You're like, awkward. Oh, it's a mom. Never mind. We're good, guys. We're good. Right? Yeah. Let's try that again, right? Look at the mom. Yeah, right? The picture here, I'm not just trying to give you something and moving in the line along. I want to give you my very self. My wife is a mom, right? She's a great mom. She does things that I go, 
how do you have that much patience? She's like, it's part of my maternal instinct. I was like, I don't want a maternal instinct, right? I'm like, yo, this kid is going to get. She's like, oh, Michael, that's not how we do things. I'm like, I'm going to show him how we do things in a minute, right? But a mom, she's so concerned. Like, a mom is not just going, here are those lessons. Call me if you need anything. She's like, come here. Be a part of my life. I want to rope you in. I don't want to just give you advice. I want to give you my whole life. And Paul says, that's how we felt about you. A gospel worker carries himself not only with the gospel, but with a willingness to get in relationship with the others. With a willingness to get close enough that people can actually become dear to you. To get to know people well enough that when you read this verse, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. What does that sound like? Sounds like Paul actually cares about them. Weird. He had a willingness to get close enough to them so that he would actually care about them and they would be dear to him. How many of you know, you're like, I'm in high school, I've never experienced this. How many of you know that relationships are messy? How many of you know that relationships hurt? How many of you know that relationships bring out the best in you? Right? Students, relationships are inconvenient. They're hard. If you're alive for more than a day, they will hurt you. You will hurt others. And yet, if you are a Christian who carries the gospel, you need to have a willingness to enter into those messy, painful, uncomfortable, and inconvenient relationships. Because first of all, God had brought us in. So first of all, Paul has this willingness and we must have this willingness because it'd be hypocritical if we didn't, right? Just on a purely logical level, we're preaching a message that Jesus Christ invited us into his family. Great, can I be a part of your family? No, okay? We love each other because, because we're sharing with each other God's love. And so just on a purely logical level, the fact that we've experienced God's love and forgiveness and mercy, it makes us more forgiving and patient and loving and merciful. But not only, it, that, it's not only because we're experiencing God's love, it's because Jesus Christ did not command us to teach a message. <gasps> yes, he did. No, he did Jesus Christ did not command us to teach other people his commandments. He commanded us to teach other people how to obey his commandments. Look at it, when he gave the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus, how do I make disciples? That's kind of a scary thing. I don't know what to do. Well, I'll tell you. Number one, you baptize them. You call them to repentance. How many of you have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Yes, amen. Yes, right, which marked your repentance. So you're baptized. And then we teach you all that Jesus commanded. Is that what it says? Teaching them all that I have commanded you. Hey, um, uh, Keaton, um, I forgot to tell you, your mom actually texted me. Uh, sorry, everybody, quick moment here. She texted me and told you that she wants you to build a doghouse when you get home. Yeah, I hope that helps, okay. Anyway, so Jesus commanded, right? There's a difference between telling her what her mother commanded and saying, hey, Keaton, I wanna show you how to build a doghouse. You see the difference? There's a difference between, hey, everybody, really quick, Jesus told you to live a pure life and love people. Good luck. And, hey, Jesus commanded you to love people, so let me show you how to do that. Let me teach you how to obey. Do you see the difference? Friends, the latter implies relationship. 
teaching people to obey, teaching people to follow Jesus implies and assumes that we are getting close enough to actually teach people how to obey. It requires sharing. It requires community. It requires relationship. And students, you need to understand something because you're all under 20 years old for the most part. Community is not a new buzzword, right? We love community. And now everybody uses community. Oh, I'm part of the Apple community. Really? Do you have meetings? Like how often do you meet? No, no, no. I'm part of the greater community. I'm part of the chess community. I'm part of this community. How many communities are there? It's just a buzzword. Everything is a community. Friends, community is not a buzzword. Community is the context, the divinely intended context in which Christians grow. I said last week, whenever God births a a baby Christian, he gives them a Christian family. So community is to a Christian what a family is to a brand new baby. And so imagine soil, imagine a plant here, right? And you go, man, what a cool plant. I love this plant. It's so green and water absorbent and monkey. It's so salad. Stop it. I already struggle with my agricultural metaphors. I don't need your help, all right? The plant looks beautiful, but the soil kind of smells, right? So I'm just gonna take out the plant and I'll keep it on the floor there and I won't have to deal with the soil. You're an idiot. (laughs) Friends, if you were to take the plant out of the soil, you are taking it out of the very thing that it needs to thrive and survive. In the same way, when you take yourself out of community, when you remove yourself from relationships because they're hard and you cut off people because they hurt you and you cut off people because you're tired of it and you cut off people because you don't have time and you close people out of your life, you are killing your spiritual health. You are removing yourself from the very soil that God planted you in so that you could grow and learn to obey him with your life. I know about the trauma. I know about the messages. I know about the text message. I know about the Instagram. I know about the subtweet. I know, I know, I know what she said in homeroom. I know what he said to your friend behind your back. Welcome to life, students, okay? Welcome to life. If you wanna start burning bridges every time somebody hurts you, you are gonna be on the loneliest island in the world, in the world. Don't remove yourself from community because you carry the gospel. And those who carry the gospel must carry with them a willingness to share life with others and to embrace others. Make sense? Here we go. Last one here. We don't give up on relationships. We don't stop showing up to small group. We don't stop answering the text messages from our youth staffers. We know this is our context. And so, if you carry the gospel with you, if you believe that God wants to work the gospel through you to the rest of the world, you need to have a boldness in the face of conflict. Oh, in the face of conflict, get it? In the face. Boldness in the face of conflict. A motivation to please the sender, not the recipients. You need to have a willingness to share your life with others. And then last but not least, look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children. <laughs> Nobody goes, aw, right? I'm a father, on me. Thank you, thank you very much. That was very immature of me, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. 
Um, see how I did that? That's what we do in relationships. We like confess sin and we hurt each other and we do it again. Um, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The fourth and final thing that a gospel worker carries is a commitment to speak the truth. <laughs> Bing, right? Shiny, his teeth. And so we see here, not only, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. Not only, not only is there the affection of a mother, there's also the instruction of a father. See that metaphor there? Like a father with his children. We see here that yes, he loved them. And yes, he's like, come on, I want to do life with you. And yes, I just, I love you. And I want to see you succeed. And I want to have you over for dinner. And I want to speak into your life because I love you. And you're so just, man, I love you. Like a mother, but like a father, I exhort you. You know what the word exhort means? Everybody says no. <laughs> you're like, no. No. <laughs> To exhort means to strongly urge, right? This, the word exhort, whenever I hear it, I think of the Proverbs. That's what the Proverbs are. They're an exhortation. They're urging. These are not suggestions. These are fatherly exhortations. My son, I exhort you, stay away from the adulterous woman. My son, my children, I exhort you, remove yourself from the presence of violent people. Youth group, citizens, I exhort you to abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his or her own body in holiness and honor, that none of you wrong your brother in these matters, for the Lord is an avenger of all these things. I exhort you. We see that not only does a father exhort, he encourages. When was the last time that somebody was encouraged by your words? You're like, I know I'm kind of sarcastic, but like they get it, right? They know it. They know that when I say I hate them and that they're, they're pathetic, I mean the opposite. <laughs> Dude, I listen to you guys talk to each other sometimes and I'm like, I would have no self-confidence if they were my friends. Good thing I'm 27 and married and don't wish I had 13-year-old friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, honestly, those who carry the gospel need to carry with them a commitment to speak the truth, which includes encouraging. To encourage someone is to instill confidence in them. You can do this, students. Keep going. But Sam, I messed up and I feel like I'm addicted and I'll never get over this sin and you don't understand. Living for Jesus is so hard and I make this mistake over and over and I already confessed to you yesterday and now I'm here again. I'm never gonna get over. Let me encourage you like a father with his children. We've been there. You can do this. Not because you're awesome, but because God is awesome. You can do this. Let me encourage you. Jesus is working in your lives. Let me encourage you, even when you feel like you're moving backwards, God is faithful and the work that he began in you, he's gonna complete it. Let me encourage you. That's what a father does. Number three, look what else. Number three, there's a charge, right? These are like, this is like dad moment. This is where I just like, student, I charge you. I command you. I'm obeying you. This is like the intensity language. I charge you. There's an authority involved in fathering, right? I don't say to Micah, Micah, you should probably not slap mom when she's hugging you. That's what two-year-olds do. You're holding when he goes, mama, bah! right? Like my first thought is, that's my wife, kid, right? And then my second thought is, wait a minute, I'm the kid's father. 
I need to command him. And so I will grab him very sternly and I go, mommy equals affection, daddy equals instruction. You will not slap your mother. You're so mean, don't you love him? No, friends, you have to have the mother and the father. No, listen to me. That's not, your definition of love is tainted. All you Romeo lovers out there, you don't, love is more than just the affection of a mother. Love includes the instruction of a father. If you have all of affection with no instruction and truth, you're a hippie. If you have all of the instruction with no affection and love, you're the military. But if you have the affection and the instruction of truth, you're the church of Jesus Christ. There's a commitment to speak truth like a father. But not only do we exhort, not only do we encourage, not only do we charge, there's a fourth thing in here. There's a fourth thing that a father does. If we're looking at the job description of a daddy, the fourth thing, look what he says. He says, look at our conduct. Fathers exemplify. Fathers don't simply say, well, here you go. I charge you and encourage you. Go get him. He says, look at me. That's what fathers do. They say, look at my own life. You saw how holy I was. You saw how I strove for righteousness and being blameless. You saw our conduct. Imitate us. So fathers, they have a commitment to speak the truth by exhorting, encouraging, charging, and, follow, like, follow, and, and calling people to follow. Students, follow me as I follow Christ. And to the degree that I deviate, follow me. Look at your leaders. Look around the room. Follow them as they follow Christ. If you want the gospel to work through you, live a life that says, follow me as I follow Christ. So how do those who carry the gospel carry themselves? We saw how a businessman carries himself. We saw how a plumber carries herself. We saw how an architect carries himself. How does a person who carry the, how, does the, how do those who carry the gospel carry themselves? This is how. <laughs> how they carry themselves in a way that says to everyone I deal with things that are so true and life transforming I deal with the gospel of Jesus Christ and so friends we're fortunate enough in the scriptures to have Paul's example right we see how Paul conducted himself over those three weeks but you know who's even more perfect than Paul you know whose example we have even while Paul was imperfect and failed? Jesus Christ. He came, friends. Understand this because I want you. Look at me because I want you and your eyes and your heart. I want you more than anything to be totally in awe of the beauty of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not a word we throw on the end of our sentence. He's a lover of our souls. And we see Jesus and every fiber of our being. If we are in tune to how good he is, we will go, yes, I love that. You ever go to a museum and you're looking at like a piece of art and you're like, that looks so weird. And then you look to your right and there's people there that are like in tears. And And you're like, I don't see what you're seeing. I don't see it. My affections are not stirred by this image. That's what it's like sometimes when you're a Christian and you look around and people are like, Jesus. And just the mention of his name, just the mention of his name can bring people to tears. Just the mention of God the Father, it, it provokes affection in people because they can see how good he is. And perhaps you're here and you go, 
I just don't see it. I mean, Jesus is cool and all. I mean, I'm a Christian, but I mean, like, beautiful? What do you mean he's beautiful? And students, when you look at the Bible and you see that he had a boldness in the midst of much conflict, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was sentenced to the death penalty, and yet he was bold down to the last minute because he understands that he carried a message that would transform your lives, the message of God's love through Jesus Christ. So for your sake, he had a boldness in the midst of much conflict. He had a willingness to share, or, or, or a motivation not to please people. He wasn't there trying to make it rich. He wasn't trying to be Jesus Christ superstar, no matter what the musical says. He said, I'm here to please my father because those who carry the gospel carry with them a motivation. He said, I'm not just here to give a message. Three years and I'm out, peace out. He brought people and he called disciples and he said, you, 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 come and be with me. And we go, wow, Jesus wanted to be with dirty sinners. Jesus was willing to share life with prostitutes and tax collectors and schemers. That's beautiful. And then we hear him talk, right? And we open up our Bibles and we go, why are the letters in red? You go, oh, that's when Jesus is talking, right? Pay attention. And we see that he has this commitment to speak the truth like a father. He has the commitment to look at you while you're sitting in your own crap. And you're like, nobody should talk to me. Nobody cares. And he looks at you without even going, ah. And he looks at you and he speaks to you, not with disgust, not with shame, but like a father with his children. He goes, hey, there's actually something better for you here. And there's something validating and deeply affirming by his commitment to speak the truth to you. He's beautiful, students. He's beautiful. And as you look at him today, as you look at the perfect picture of Jesus or representation of Jesus, see how he's beautiful and then pray to the Lord that you would be transformed into this image. We, with unveiled faces, as we behold the face of God, as we behold the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ, we too are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. So my prayer for you tonight is that as you look at the perfect gospel worker, as you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll see that he's beautiful and that you'll be moved and transformed to do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us... Um, this beautiful letter, Lord, not just as a history book, but as your words to us. And so, Lord, we hear you speaking to us, God. We hear your words to us. And, Lord, our, our response tonight is to obey you and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Change me. Here I am, Lord. Do a work in my life. Father, I confess and I admit where I fall short. So would you transform me so that I can be someone who you can work the gospel through? Lord, I pray for these students that they would be carriers of the gospel and that they would carry themselves appropriately. Lord, I pray that Mountain View and Evergreen and Union and Gila and, and all the other schools, Lord, I pray for, for the middle schools like Shehala and Pacific and Sky Ridge and Liberty. Lord, may you transform them. I know that you're faithful to save people, Lord, when we're faithful to speak it clearly. So Lord, work through these students, God. Create a movement in Vancouver and Camas of students getting baptized and saved and transferred into the kingdom of your glorious son. In Jesus' name, amen.